0: You're you going to quit your job? Not likely, because magicians are dumb. Whoa, 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 whoa. the racist one now. Yeah, I you don't just, uh, need to talk about a key demographic of true crime listeners.
1: Welcome everyone to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake.
0: My name is Rory.
2: And I'm your host Katie. And today we are talking about the murder of Michelle McNeil.
0: And uh, where were we on for this one?
2: This one is in Pleasant Grove, Utah.
0: Ooh, and where did you do your research for this one?
2: The ah. book for this one was The Stranger She Loved by Shanna Hogan.
0: All right. How do you feel about this case so far? Is it a good one for getting Chris Watts out of your head?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's working pretty well so far.
0: Oh, good. Because there's just
1: a ton of it or?
2: Um, No, this guy's just really strange, but not in like a terrible, I'm going to murder my own children way, so.
1: Ah, so intriguing.
2: You can still get the intrusive thoughts, though.
1: Is this going to be a two-part episode? Yes. So this is part one.
2: Yes. No, this is part two.
1: Oh, y'all missed part one.
2: (laughs) You don't get it. Sorry.
1: M-M-M, Triple M's Murder of Michelle McNeil, part one.
0: All right, Katie, start us off with The Life of Michelle McNeil.
2: Michelle McNeil was born January fifteenth, 1957, in Concord, California, to Milton and Helen Somers. Michelle was one of seven children, raised mainly by their mother, as their father was an alcoholic and rarely around. Their grandmother also took a major part in their childhoods, and they grew up loved and well cared for. Michelle was also raised Mormon, regularly attending church and staying in the religion as she grew older.
0: We have so many Mormon stories. One of the four corner states is a veritable beehive of Mormon activity.
1: Technically northern Arizona too, isn't it? Mm, yeah,
2: mostly not as much, Colorado but... City. Oh. It's all kind of centered around there. And then they broke up FLDS up there, so
1: they are everywhere. But they also make up all the crime.
2: I guess there's a pretty large amount in Mesa too. Shanna Hogan wrote the one I read for Jody Arias too, which was also Travis Alexander was a Mormon. So I think she likes to cover Mormon stuff.
0: She probably is a Mo. <laughs>
2: After high school, while she figured out if she wanted to go to college, Michelle began a modeling career, which she continued on and off until her later years. 1977, Michelle was 20 and still living at home when her parents divorced. They moved to Mission Viejo, California, and Michelle began attending an LDS singles ward where she met Martin McNeil.
0: That's gotta be, like, a
1: pretty sad spot. I don't think you should ever attend an LDS singles ward, no matter how sad and lonely and Mormon you might be. Probably really good jello there. What's the... Am, is Ambrosia? Is that the ambrosia shit where they mix salad. it all up?
0: Yeah, ambrosia sound where it's jello and marshmallow fluff or whatever it is
1: yeah i don't think that's the place to meet a normal
0: properly adjusted human being i don't know
1: that's where most mormons meet
0: nope church or high school
1: do they have a website for this
0: ldssingles.com
1: i was just thinking like instead of plenty of fish
0: lds plenty of wives. singles plenty of wives plenty <laughs> that's of a good
1: wives.com we should start a mormon dating service we should we can put on the little the white shirts and the ties and pretend like we're on our mission to get mormons
0: laid <laughs> what are we stuck on here why did we get back on this
2: because you guys were talking about a oh yeah singles lds ward?
0: no lds singles ward sounds like a really sad place to be all these 20 year olds who think their life is over because they're not married they didn't marry in high school all this weird shit creepy
2: Martin was born February 1st, 1956, to Albert McNeil and Lillian Woody. He had five siblings, and his father was 58 years old when he was born.
0: Holy shit. He's an old man.
1: He's literally on AARP by the time he was having this child.
2: (laughs) The McNeil children lived the opposite life of Michelle, growing up in Camden, New Jersey, which is considered one of the most dangerous cities in the U.S. Martin described his family as, quote, the definition of dysfunctional, as his parents were both alcoholics and fought violently often. They divorced when Martin was a child, and Lillian and the children were forced to move into an apartment, she was forced to turn to prostitution to earn money to feed her six children. But often took men back to the apartment. It was so cramped that there was often only a sheet hung up between Lillian and a client, and her children trying to sleep.
0: Know what would you do if your son was at home crawling alone on the bedroom floor because he's hungry, and the only way to feed him is to sleep with a man for a little bit of money? Now his daddy's gone. That was
1: <laughs> so exceptionally timely. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was, was like. Is there a song that pertains to this? Yes. Yes, there is. Murray busted it out. This is
0: basically this dude's story. Daddy's gone. In a out of lockdown. I ain't got a job now for you. This is just a good time for me. This is what I call life. I can't remember who sings that song. TLC. No, no, no. <laughs> I don't think the Beyonce had anything to do with it. All
1: right. So she is prostituting in the same room with her children to feed them. Her six Not children. her fault.
0: Behind a curtain. Maybe her fault. And she's just like... Holds that, where's the Ra's Jedi mind trick? Pay no attention (laughs) to the sex behind the curtain.
2: By 2007, four of Martin's brothers and sisters would be dead from either suicide or drug and alcohol addiction. He and one of his sisters were the only two to come out relatively unscathed.
0: Damn, that's brutal. Well, what can
1: you expect when you literally see shit like that as a child?
0: Yeah, probably not enough coping mechanism in the world for me.
1: Yeah, just your mom getting railed by a plumber.
0: By various dudes behind a curtain.
1: I think the worst would be the plumber, though.
0: I don't know. I can think of a worse thing. He's coming up.
1: Doobie, what do you think would be worse than getting railed, watching your mother Doobie get railed it. by a plumber?
0: I don't know, watching get railed by five hobos. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, pans rammed. Doobie,
2: don't talk like that. By his mid-teens, Martin moved to Long Beach, California to be with his now 70-year-old father and try to make something of himself. During his school years, he was nicknamed Martin the Martian because of his strange, eccentric personality. He was loud and had a massive ego, constantly having to be the center of attention. He chased many potential friends off with his rapid, intense mood swings. He eventually went to a doctor and was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. His trip to the psychiatrist and newly diagnosed mental disorder inspired Martin, and he became obsessed with psychology and psychiatry. At 17, he was able to lie about his age and join the army, but after two years, his behavior became so bad that his commanders sent him in for psychiatric testing. This time, he was diagnosed with latent schizophrenia and quote, other mental and psychological infirmities and was discharged.
1: What is latent schizophrenia?
2: I think latent schizophrenia is like a, an old-timey Just definition. means like, this guy's crazy. So it's basically mm-hmm. when you have no history of an actual schizophrenic episode, but you're still affected and hallucinating or hearing things, but you haven't like fully had a psychotic break and it's not a constant thing
0: but oh. he had mental and psychological infirmities
2: mm-hmm, apparently in 1975 martin became one of the few people that mormon missionaries were able to convert he ended up going on a mission himself it was sent home after a few months because his behavior got so bad he was terrifying the other elders
0: like with his antics i mean it probably doesn't take much to frighten a bunch of mormon missionaries
2: he was just like instant mood swings and i'm sure he would talk to people that weren't there or be like hey do you see that person standing in the corner. He moved to Olympia, Washington, and enrolled in St. Martin's University. He was able to graduate after two years using transfer credits from the army and received degrees in psychology and sociology. Once graduated, he moved to Mission Viejo, California. After the move, Martin found inspiration from an episode of 60 Minutes on check fraud. He was convinced he could do it better and also get away with it, so he hatched a plan. He hired a friend to go to the Office of Vital Records and obtain a birth certificate of a random man whose name he found. With the birth certificate, he got a temporary driver's license and opened a checking account, placing a small amount of money in it to look legitimate. He then went on a shopping spree, Labor Day weekend, knowing the banks would be closed and hoping the extra time would prevent him from being caught. He purchased thousands of dollars worth of items, including diamond rings, a fridge, 60 pairs of socks, and a year's supply of chocolate-covered cherries. Sixty
1: pairs of socks, a year's supply of chocolate-covered cherries. Now I love chocolate-covered cherries, but that's a bit—that's a bit extreme. It doesn't sound to me like he was like, "I can do it better," but then he just did exactly what
0: was on 60 Minutes. Probably. <laughs> I don't—I don't think 60 Minutes made episodes like that for inspirational purposes. I think they were just trying to tell people what crimes were happening. But that's
1: what I'm saying. Everything he did in here is just like something you probably would have seen on that episode. This is true. Like first the guy did this, then the guy did that, and he's like, "Uh huh, oh yeah." I can but put $15 already, in I the wanna bank how, account.
0: I want to know how he got $35,000 worth of shit out of 60 pairs of socks and some chocolate covered cherries.
2: Oh, there was tons tons, and tons of stuff, but that was like the most interesting. He bought shoes. He bought clothes. He bought Okay. Even if the socks Pernature.
1: were like $6 a pair, that's still only like $360 in the socks. Yeah, no, that's crazy, right? How does he do this?
2: Towards the end of the spree, a store clerk noticed he was acting oddly and called the police. By the time he was caught, he had already spent over $35,000, which resulted in him being charged with 14 felonies. He was let out of jail while he awaited his trial, which is when he met Michelle.
1: He got bonded out? I assume so. Once again...
0: They might have let him out on pretrial services. They probably let him out on good behavior and...
2: After just their first date, Martin became completely obsessed with Michelle and began to control every aspect of her life. During one argument in his car early in the relationship, Michelle suggested they stop seeing each other. Martin panicked and pulled a pistol out of the center console, pointing it at his head and telling her, I can't live without you. If you leave me, I'll kill myself.
0: Do it. Do it. Dramatic. She should have told him to do it. That's not really dramatic. I guess it's like superman- hypermanic, or is that... Do you think that's in one of his depressive states? Sounds manipulative to me. Yeah, I
2: think he's just a malignant narcissist and mm-hmm. knew she would stick around. Most abusers know that they can say that and you'll stay. Michelle was eventually able to talk him down and continue dating him despite the incident. Michelle's family were almost immediately concerned with Martin, as his behavior and treatment of Michelle was extremely hot and cold. Once they started expressing their concerns to her, Martin isolated her from them completely saying that they were the ones causing problems in their relationship in typical abuser fashion. When her mother discovered Martin's mental issues, she said, quote, I wouldn't be surprised if he killed her one day.
0: Sometimes mom can see the future with, like, your respective boyfriend-girlfriend. They have a sixth sense for that stuff.
2: Yeah, moms are usually right, so. Michelle continued to overlook the obvious red flags, and the two eloped on February 21st, 1978. After their marriage, Martin was able to take a plea deal and was sentenced to 180 days in prison and three years of felony probation for his check fraud incident. It's
1: a nice light sentence for 35 grand. Did he have to give back the $35,000 worth of shit?
0: I mean, probably. Probably. Oh. That's fucking crazy. 180 days and three years of pel- felony probation and that's it?
2: You get all kinds of good shit when you take a plea. Then you don't have to go to trial and make the Ooh. state spend a bunch of money on you.
1: And you uh, know what else? He took his own socks. He had enough socks to wear a pair for three days and then switch them out. So that saved everybody a bunch of time and money. And he had his own socks. In
0: prison? What? Yeah. Um, your train of logic is so fucked <laughs> sometimes. Continue on. He please, had 60 Katie.
1: pairs of socks. And he had 180 days to spend in jail. So three three days a pair. But they let you take your own socks. No, after. they don't. No, they don't. Yeah, they do. To prison? No, well, they don't. To prison. They do not
0: let you take your own socks. To jail, they do. No, they don't. Yes, they do. No, they put them in a little bag and you get to wear the fuck. Like long white socks that they give you. That's
1: if no. That's if you get arrested. If you check in, you can check in a bunch of pairs of white socks and underwear and all
0: that shit. Nobody has ever told me that. You were there when I did it. I was not there when you did that.
2: I've never been arrested. I don't know.
0: Things are weird in Arizona, so I don't even know if that's true everywhere because I've never once been offered to have someone bring some socks, and underwear in for me.
2: In prison, you definitely don't get to take any of your own things. I'm gonna ask. Who are you gonna ask?
1: I would ask Dale, but
0: truck hit him. <laughs> Dale did.
2: When he was released, he and Michelle got an apartment together in Hollywood, and a month later, Michelle was pregnant with their first child. She was born October eleventh, nineteen seventy nine, and given the name Rachel Renee McNeil. After her birth, Martin decided to go back to college. For his doctorate. He was able to find a strange program that required American students to attend four years at a foreign college, but complete their residency and exams in America to American standards.
1: Sounds like a super specific, almost like he had it made up for him. He was like, I want this. It
0: sounds weird.
2: Yeah, I don't know what it was. They moved to Guadalajara, Mexico in nineteen eighty for the program, but Martin dropped out after a semester and they moved instead to Walnut, California.
1: What do you think he didn't like about Mexico? Probably all
0: the Mexicans.
1: <laughs>
2: Martin transferred his credits to the College of Osteopathic Medicine, where he went for three years. On September 16th, 1981, their second daughter, Vanessa Marie McNeil, was born. A little over a year later, Alexis Michelle McNeil was born. In 1983, despite having so many small children to now take care of, Martin graduated as an osteopathic surgeon. So is that a
1: foot surgeon? What's an osteopathic surgeon?
2: It's like holistic. You focus on like the muscle skeletal system more than you do like...
1: Oh, like a... Oh... that? they call those dudes. They're like chiropractors, homeopaths, no,
0: osteo. Maybe an osteopath. I'm
1: not sure.
2: Probably an osteopath.
1: Instead of having their uh, chiropractor doctorate or whatever,
0: doctorate <laughs> of chiropractic.
2: Two years later, their only son, Damian Alexander McNeil, was born. Martin was offered a residency at a New York hospital, so the family moved to Flushing, right outside of Queens. Once he completed his residency, two years later, they moved yet again. This time to Utah.
1: Oh, and this brings us to the four corners state of Mormonism. Pam, 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 pam.
2: All of the McNeil children described their childhood as idyllic. Michelle was a stay-at-home mom, so they were constantly being cared for and watched over. Although Martin worked often, he was still active in their lives and a good father. They were extremely active in the Mormon church and also attended ballet and multiple school activities. The only downside in the children's lives was their constant moving across Utah, as Martin would change jobs frequently, working between hospitals and clinics across the entire state. At the same time, he attended Brigham Young University, graduating with his degree in law in 1990, never took the bar exam or practiced law but still told everyone that he was a lawyer
1: i told everyone that rory was a lawyer one time and then took him to court as my lawyer you can do it mm-hmm. it's not medical malpractice either i think Did the it's...
2: judge force you to have counsel no backup counsel
0: no they, i don't think they can force you i think you can pick who you want
2: they can still assign you a defense uh, attorney yeah
0: well i told him i they're... said i got my defense attorney look at this guy he's got a ginger beard and I don't blue suede you, shoes you don't ever have to I think you have to check. In, in
2: 1998, they made their final move to Orem, Utah, and Martin got a job working as the medical director for the Utah State Developmental Center, which provided care to mentally disabled patients.
1: So he has some mental issues himself, and he's working in a mental facility? There's a difference between me- being mentally disabled and uh, having... Disordered. Disorders. Oh, so disabled is like brain injuries and like and like uh down syndrome?
2: Yeah, basically there's a difference a major difference between having bipolar disorder and down syndrome. Almost every single one of Martin's coworkers disliked him. They described him as a bully, egotistical, and said he had a profound lack of medical skills. As his list of accomplishments grew, so did his ego. He was so bad that Michelle's friends would not call her house in fear of him answering the phone. Now that the children were older, they also became aware of his pompous attitude and embarrassing behavior. They described him as having Having two personalities the martin that was loud and stuck up in public and the sweet caring father martin he was at home despite his behavior martin and michelle did everything to create the illusion their family was perfect the children were always perfectly dressed for church and other outings they were always well behaved and they made sure to be involved around the neighborhood and in every church event on the inside though Michelle and Martin's marriage was falling apart. They fought almost constantly, yelling so loudly neighbors could sometimes hear them. Michelle was fed up with Martin constantly and very abruptly, leaving his jobs. She'd also caught him looking at porn multiple times, which is prohibited as a Mormon, and was seen as a form of cheating in Michelle's eyes.
0: Whoa, that's a bit extreme.
1: Well, he's just bouncing all over the state looking at porn. How can you trust him?
0: So she gets upset because he's watching porn now. This brings up a good question. Is watching porn cheating?
2: It depends on the relationship and the people in the relationship relationship some some people would view it as cheating and some other some don't
0: i just don't get how it'd be cheating i mean because unloading. i th-
2: I think the the mindset behind it is that you're looking at other women because you're attracted to those women and you're imagining yourself having sex with those women being the man that's in the porn
0: you do have to get in the head of that dude that banging those. <laughs>
2: exactly women. so that's why some women think that it's a form of cheating basically During one huge fight they had, Martin grabbed a knife and threatened to kill her and himself. Their son Damien rushed Martin, tackling him to the ground and taking the knife from him.
1: Go Damien. Just being a bad motherfucker.
2: One thing Michelle didn't know about was that Martin constantly cheated on her, not just with porn. The women he usually slept with or dated briefly were his patients or co-workers, which is why he was leaving jobs so often. Once he got caught, he would usually quit rather than face any sort of punishment, knowing that he could easily find another job because he was so qualified. He had also been accused of sexual harassment, misdiagnosing patients, and even billing insurances for service that he had not provided. He somehow was able to go for years before Michelle even began to consider that he might be having an affair.
1: It kind of sounds like he's only uh, super qualified on paper, and that, like in reality, like none of that transfers to actually actual skills. His co-workers don't like him because he sucks at being a doctor.
0: And he's super cocky. Not a doctor.
2: Fake it till you make it. If you pretend you're a good doctor, people will think you are.
0: I mean, at this point, he's in charge of something fairly large, right? hmm
2: The reason Michelle never caught on was likely how busy she was with children. As they got older, they all inherited problems from Martin. Both Rachel and Damien were diagnosed with bipolar disorder with Damien having the more severe case of the two. They still both went on to be successful, Rachel as a dental hygienist and Damien completing his Mormon mission in Hiroshima before going to college.
0: Is that really successful? Yeah, I mean, he completed college and he showed that he can do it two years later. If you say so.
2: Alexis had always been the closest to her father and was determined to be a doctor like he was. She attended Brigham Young University before moving to London to get her master's and then finally moving to Nevada in 2006. Vanessa struggled the most out of the four children, becoming addicted to drugs and alcohol during high school. By 18, she was pregnant and gave birth to a little girl she named Ada. After her birth in 2001, Vanessa's addiction only got worse, and she became a full-blown heroin addict by 2005. Michelle and Martin adopted Ada as their own, bringing a newfound joy to Michelle's life. She missed having young children around so much that Ada inspired them to adopt three more children in 2003. Noelle, 13, Giselle, 12, and L, 10, were adopted by the McNeils from a Ukrainian orphanage.
1: All these children's names end the same? Mm-hmm.
0: Giselle, Noelle. How do you end up picking kids from a Ukrainian orphanage? Like teenage kids, that just seems weird to me.
2: After only a few months, Noelle's behavior became too much for Michelle to handle. They sent her to a Michigan mental health hospital that specialized in reactive attachment disorder, a rare disorder that causes a child to be unable to form any sort of emotional bond with their parental figures. Michelle and Martin gave up their parental rights to her, which likely only hurt the child more. Not long after giving Noel up, they adopted another Ukrainian orphan named Sabrina. She had been close friends with Elle in the orphanage, and adopted by another American woman around the same time. She came to the McNeils' home for a month-long trip to visit Elle right around the time her own adoptive mother decided she only wanted to keep her sister. The McNeils jumped at the chance and adopted her.
0: It's so crazy to me that they can just take and give up children like they're... Yeah, they're like, I don't want this one, like but... playing cards, yeah. The
1: sister's really cool, but the other sister is a little pain in my ass. Giving her up. Seems yeah. fucked up.
0: Yeah, welcome to America. Here's a game we call Yankee Swap.
1: Yankee Swap? I thought it was musical orphans.
0: No, because that's just Annie.
2: Sabrina and Elle connected immediately with the McNeils, but Giselle had a more difficult time. She says that Martin molested her, and when she told Michelle, she was ordered to never speak of it again. One family friend said, quote, The problem with Giselle is that she told things, and you don't tell what goes on in that house. You have to keep the secrets.
0: Wait, so was she molested?
2: Generally, when a child accuses somebody of molesting them, I believe the child, so I'm going to say yes.
0: They the, they never investigated this molestation or anything like that?
2: No, she was basically told to shut up, and she shut up, because, I mean, if you've already been in an orphanage for 12 of your years, and now you have, enough, you have like a legitimate, somewhat normal family, and this happens, I mean, you don't really want to lose that family again and go back to another orphanage. All
0: right, all right. Maybe you do if you're getting molested. I don't know, man. I've never been It's in difficult when you're a
2: child and you have these people that are supposed to be protecting you, and you've grown up in a city a shitty situation already, and then this happens and you're like, Okay, well, maybe this is normal. By two thousand five, while Michelle was trying to raise four young girls, Martin had become extremely cold and distant with her. They fought more often than they got along, and Martin also began having intense mood swings. All of this was because of a woman he'd met named Anna who had hired Martin to be the medical director of her laser hair removal business. As their relationship became sexual, Martin started opening up to her about his darkest secrets. He told her about his homicidal urges and times that he had acted on them. When he was eight years old, he collected all of the medication in his home and mixed them into a can of beer. He woke his mother, who was passed out drunk on the couch, and helped her to drink it. He says that he stood back and watched as she stopped breathing, but his sister arrived home just in time and found her before it was too late.
0: That is an epic eight-year-old plot. I mean, that's a fucking crazy story to tell someone. Like, hey, I know we're boning now, but when I was eight years old, I tried to kill my mother. I don't think that I might kill you.
2: Anna also says Martin confessed to killing his brother years earlier. He had called Martin and told him he was going to kill himself, and when Martin arrived at the home, he found him in the tub with his wrists cut. He was still alive, so Martin pushed his head under the water and killed him. No one considered he may have been murdered, as it's relatively common to see suicide victims slip under the water and drown when they pass out from the blood loss of their cut wrists.
1: Jesus fucking Christ. Because earlier you said that all but two, all but one of his siblings, him and one of his siblings were dead from drugs or suicide. How many, uh, how many of his siblings suicided themselves? Well, one. Aside from this one. Because this one didn't actually suicide himself. He could have been saved, but instead he got pushed under the water.
2: I don't remember the exact number. I think it was probably a two and two, but I don't know for sure.
1: Fucked up. Mm -hmm.
2: I mean, it's still possible that the ones that overdosed weren't, wasn't intentional, and Martin took part in that too, so we don't know.
1: Martin's just a little super piece of shit murderer. Fuck this guy.
2: Martin also told Anna about his urge to kill his own daughter. He said her drug use was an embarrassment to his perfect family, and the only option was to move her from the picture. After sharing all this with Anna, Martin met another woman online and dumped her. He and the new woman named Gypsy went on their first date in November and quickly fell in love
0: and then he
1: decided to spill his guts all to her too, or
2: no, he only told Anna
1: so he told Anna all of this, and then he yeah dumped, dumped her. her. That seems just like not watching your own back really he? yeah did she ever uh she ever come back to to bite him in the ass? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we know about it now, so yeah. They
2: continued to see each other, and the relationship had become sexual by early 2006. Martin and Michelle were attending church marriage counseling, but as he fell more in love with Gypsy, his marriage to Michelle only got worse. At one point, he told the church bishop he didn't love Michelle anymore and deeply regretted adopting the children.
1: You can just send them back then, can't you?
2: No. 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 That's not how adopting kids works. Michelle had finally caught on and realized Martin may have been having an affair by 2006. Her suspicions only grew after his 50th birthday, and he became completely obsessed with his looks. He began working out heavily, eating well, and fake tanning. Michelle knew that it was more than likely to impress another woman. The possibility of an affair was forgotten when Martin began having severe pain in his big toe in late 2006. He saw multiple doctors and had three surgeries, but the pain persisted. In December, he told his family he was dying of cancer and wouldn't be around much longer. Martin began to make arrangements for his death, taking out a $2 million life insurance policy and signing the house into Michelle's name. After this, he told her that he also had multiple sclerosis, and from then on switched between the two diagnoses.
1: I don't think that the symptoms of toe cancer and multiple sclerosis are similar.
2: No, maybe in some cases, but...
1: I mean, you can get numbness, I guess, on sides of your body from the multiple sclerosis. And I guess your toe might be numb.
2: He told all his neighbors he only had six months to live and even gave a Sunday school lesson on incurable illness and death. At his work, Martin never mentioned anything about cancer. While he was very happy to discuss his problems, usually propping his foot up on the table and removing his shoe and sock to show the swelling, he never spoke about dying. He told some co-workers it was a neurological problem and others a genetic one.
0: I'd be pretty disgusted if some dude took off his shoe and was like, here, look at my big swollen fucking toe. Right? It's your boss and you're just like, yeah, cool. I'd be like, no, thank you.
2: Now that he had his family convinced he would be dead soon, he had an even better excuse to be cold and distant with Michelle while his relationship with Gypsy progressed. By January, he told her he was ready to be in a serious relationship and leave Michelle. He got her a duplex and paid all her bills, even taking out a new debit card for her to use on whatever she wanted. He took her on trips, specifically on one, to Scottsdale, Arizona on February 21st, his and Michelle's 29th wedding anniversary. They went because Martin had an appointment at the Mayo Clinic to have more testing done on his toe. The results came back and showed that Martin did not have cancer, only hereditary disease called hereditary neuropathy with liability to pressure palsies. Basically, the disorder causes nerves to be especially sensitive to pressure, and if the nerve is overworked too much palsy or loss of muscle function can occur treatment includes avoiding excess pressure and the risk of dying from it in your toe is zero so does
0: he have basically gout
2: it's similar but it's like i mean it was like numb and it would get tingly like pins and needles and like painful and sometimes he had to use a cane but all he really had to do was like just kind of prop it up for a couple hours and not walk (laughs) on it and it would feel fine it's like when you get you guys probably don't get bursitis but i get bursitis in my knees and i get in my toes and it's
0: what is bursitis
2: the little, the bursae, which are little fluid filled sacs between your joints so your bones don't rub together, Ooh. they burst and all the fluid leaks out so your bones rub together it's and it's literally painful. literally
1: exactly what it sounds like, Burstitis. itis huh. well, No,
2: it's because it's bursae. <laughs>
0: and uh, how, how do you get this? Like, what is this from?
2: I just have bad joints.
0: Hmm.
2: My joints are just really loose and so my bones are click-clacking together all the time.
0: click cage just has bad skeleton syndrome.
2: I do. BSS. I All kinds of bad stuff going on.
1: He's not going to die.
2: No, there's no chance. Unless some freak accident happened and, like, his toe got caught in a meat grinder and sucked him in and killed him. It's, like, the only chance of him dying from this.
0: Oh, I shouldn't have worn flip-flops today!
2: (laughs) (laughs) After the results had come in, Michelle and their daughter Alexis snooped around the house, trying to find any proof Martin was having an affair. They found the test results from the clinic, which more so confused Michelle than anything. They were able to get the password to Martin's cell phone records and discovered he'd been calling Gypsy multiple times a day, every day. Michelle confronted him about it, but he, of course, denied everything.
1: That's my dead toe doctor. Call her. Call him every day.
2: The next day, Martin randomly looked at Michelle and said that she needed a facelift and that he would get her one as a gift. Now that she basically confirmed he was cheating, she was desperate to save her marriage and be attractive in her husband's eyes again. She agreed at first only to a consultation to learn more about the surgery. Martin went with her and scheduled her to have every procedure they discussed with the doctor: a forehead lift, a mid-face lift, a lower face lift, and an upper and lower eyelid correction. Basically, every single part of her face would be cut into and sewn back together.
0: Yeah, your body, my choice. Honestly, if a guy ever offers to give you Full facial reconstructive surgery, don't trust that man. Do not go to the Neverland Ranch with him.
2: If your husband looks at you and says, hey, I'll get you a facelift as a gift, you say, hey, fuck you, I'll get you a divorce by next week. The surgery was scheduled for April 3rd, 2007. A couple nights later, two of the children saw Martin flipping through the book Physician's Desk Reference, which is a guide to medications and their dosages and interactions. When asked about it, he said he was just trying to be prepared for Michelle's surgery. At the final pre-op appointment, the doctor informed Michelle and Martin what meds he would be prescribing her. Martin took out a list he'd made and requested that she get Percocet instead of Vicodin and Valium because she gets anxious when she's in pain. The doctor later said he normally would not prescribe something the patient asked for, but because Martin was also a doctor, he agreed. Not a doctor. Michelle also saw a primary care physician to make sure she was healthy enough for the surgery. He recommended that it be delayed because Michelle had high blood pressure, which could cause problems during the surgery or her recovery. Martin said the doctor didn't know what he was talking about and that she was getting the surgery anyways.
1: Just doesn't seem like such a good doctor.
2: The day of, April 3rd, he dropped Michelle off at the surgeon's office and went to work. Her first night home, Alexis, who'd flown in from Nevada to help her mom recover, insisted on sleeping by her side. Martin told her no and kicked her out of the room. At 6 a.m. the next day, Alexis checked on Michelle and found her barely conscious, alive and breathing, but with a very low heart rate. She confronted Martin about it, who said that he'd given her a Valium at midnight, then a Percocet at 1 a.m. She threw up, so he gave her Nazem medication, two Percocet, and an Ambien half hour later.
0: Damn.
1: Yeah,
2: so. Sounds
0: Cause... like a whole lot of shit that can
1: stop your heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you give someone one pill and they puke it up, everybody knows just give them two next time. hmm Double it up. They'll keep it down.
2: Because Michelle had her eyelids operated on, she was essentially blind and had no idea what she was being given. When she was finally able to wake up, she was extremely upset and told Alexis she thought he was intentionally trying to over-medicate her. She told her, quote, if anything happens to me, make sure it wasn't your dad.
1: Basically, if anything happens to me, it was your dad. Mm -hmm. That's her
0: saying, like, hey, your dad's trying to kill me.
2: On April 10th, Michelle went in for her third and final post-op checkup. Her doctor was very pleased with her recovery and said she was healing extremely well. By that point, Alexis felt comfortable flying back to her home in Nevada and left that same day. On the 11th, Michelle awoke feeling pretty good, having a conversation with Sabrina and promising her pizza after she picked her up from school. Martin came home from work at quarter to eight and picked the girls up to take them to school. In the car, Martin was agitated, snapping at them and saying it was because Michelle didn't feel good. After dropping them off, Martin has a half hour of time that he was completely unaccounted for.
0: So we have no idea where he was? No idea. Do we have theories?
2: Um, killing his wife. Ah. He made a phone call to Michelle around 9.30, leaving a voicemail telling her to not go anywhere. Between 9.30 and 11, again, his whereabouts were untraceable. Around 11.40, Martin picked Ada up from school, despite Michelle telling her only a few hours beforehand she would be there. When they arrived home, Ada called for Michelle, but got no answer. She went up to the bedroom and into the bathroom, where she found Michelle slumped over the side of the tub, dead.
1: What?
0: He went and picked up his granddaughter, brought her home. She finds her grandma dead.
2: Mm -hmm. Basically her mother, since she was adopted by them.
1: Oh, right, because her mom was a junkie.
2: Yes, she was just, I mean, she was too young to have a baby. Ah. Ada called Martin into the room, who rushed to Michelle's side and told Ada to go to the neighbors for help. At 11.46, he called nine-one-one, giving them the wrong address, three oh five instead of thirty fifty-eight, and very little information before hanging up.
1: How do you give them very little information? Don't they ask pretty fucking specific questions? He yeah. was
2: just screaming, basically, at the operator, and he was like, she's unconscious, blah, 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 blah. And she was like, okay, don't hang up, and he hung up. Yeah. Because, like, wow. just don't hang up on 911 operators.
1: Oh, uh, I'm Moral a doctor. Moral of the story. I can do what I want.
2: Yeah, he, stuck with, he said that a lot, too. He called again a few minutes later, telling the dispatcher he was performing CPR, which he wasn't. Ada had gone and gotten their neighbor, Christy Daniels, who walked into the bathroom and found Martin standing over Michelle's half-nude body, screaming. She tried calling 911, but Martin told her he already had, and instead needed help getting her out of the tub. By the time Christie got there, Michelle's body had been moved from hanging over the side of the tub to fully in it, lying in a sh- shallow pool of bloody water. Christie's husband Doug heard the commotion and came into the house, helping Martin lift Michelle out of the tub and onto the floor. Christie started CPR, having Martin do the mouth-to-mouth while she did compressions. At one point, she watched him and noticed her chest was not rising, meaning Martin was doing CPR incorrectly, which is odd for a physician.
1: Is he just a shitty 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 doctor? Or is he trying to not save her?
2: He's trying to not save her. I still I mean, think he he's a pretty shitty doctor. He is, and he also knows that she's dead, and she's been dead for a long time, so there's no point in trying.
0: Yeah, he killed her trying. T- three, four hours before this. Yeah. Oh.
2: I mean, he obviously also didn't need help getting her out of the tub since she was slumped over the tub, and then he put her in the tub. Yeah. So yeah. he's just trying to make himself look good, basically. During all of this, Martin was also switching from screaming out of sadness or anger. He kept saying, why? Why did you have to have the surgery?
1: That he scheduled and insisted on and paid for. Mm
2: -hmm. At 11.55, police were finally able to find the house despite the wrong address. When a ventilator bag was placed on Michelle to assist CPR, the officers could hear gurgling in either her lungs or stomach, meaning she had likely drowned. As they worked, Martin continued to yell, getting more agitated as the minutes went by. He switched from yelling about the surgery to asking why God had done this to him, as he was a good Mormon and had even been a bishop.
1: I was even a bishop. Like, that fucking matters.
2: Paramedics arrived and began pumping Michelle full of anything that could help restart her heart, and Martin got involved in that too. He yelled at them that they needed to give her epinephrine and continuously asked what they'd given her. The fire chief also came to the scene and called the ER doctor that would be working on Michelle when she arrived. Knowing that Martin was a doctor, he tried handing the phone over to him so he could explain what was going on about the surgery and the list of medications she'd been taking. Martin refused to speak to him, saying he wanted a doctor that he personally knew to take care of Michelle. When the chief insisted, Martin screamed, I'm a doctor, she's dead.
0: Good for him. This guy's a real piece of shit. Yeah, fuck this guy. Fuck this guy.
2: Michelle arrived at the hospital at 12.24, 40 minutes after she'd been found by Ada. Doctors and nurses continued to work on her for 38 minutes, but it was obvious when she came through the door that she was dead. When they started to slow down, Martin offered the doctor $10,000 not to stop, who later said it was the strangest request he'd ever gotten.
0: That is weird. I will give you money to bring her back to life. Like, and a specific weird. amount of
2: money, too, like $10,000, not like millions of dollars. I can recap it at 10K.
1: Well, maybe that's all he had in his pockets.
0: 10K to go double or nothing, Doc. I'll give you 5K if she
1: still dies, 10K if you bring her back.
2: Martin got so belligerent and made hospital staff and patients so uncomfortable, security was called to control him. Michelle was pronounced dead at 103 on April eleventh, two 2007. During her autopsy days later, death was ruled natural, likely caused by a heart arrhythmia. It wasn't until 2012, after a complicated investigation that we'll discuss in Part 2, that Martin was charged with her
1: murder. Ooh, crazy. So he it sounds like he almost got away with something until something else happened.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the best segue I've ever heard into a part two. <laughs> All right, guys, so we're going to wrap it up this week. Uh, join us next week for part two. And uh, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to email us at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F O U R Crimecast at gmail.com.
2: And you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Four Corners Crimecast and on Instagram at Four Corners Crimecast.
0: And
1: as always, if you can are hanging out and thinking of some cool stories that we might like to hear, shoot us a line or uh, an email since snail mail is not really a thing anymore. And uh, let us know any stories that you think we should look into. Whether we do an episode on it or not, we'll send you guys a sticker. Shout out. And uh whatever else. So yeah. I think this is our last episode of twenty twenty. So mm-hmm. wait, will this be out before the end of the new year? It doesn't matter. Happy New Year.
0: Alright everybody, happy new year, and we'll see you next week.
1: See ya. Adios, motherfuckers.
0: Magicians.
2: Are you thinking Wiccans?
1: basically the same thing yep one one just does their art at
0: a child's party covens of magicians out there everywhere love true crime you can do
2: witchcraft at children's parties <laughs>